So I'm going to look at some questions this evening. First of all, questions on Qigong, Qigong and standing meditation. Uh, Qigong, just obviously using the body and um, mindfulness and awareness in the body. Mm, that's, uh, that's what we're doing. Mm. Uh, Qigong itself is one of uh, many, many systems of cultivation of energy, which actually Qigong is only one of those thousands of these different forms that have been developed in the Chinese culture. So this is really just a tiny little fragment. <laughs> Some of them are based upon healing and health, you know, vitality and even healing, medicinal reasons. Some more to do with developing martial skills. So it's really how you use it, like energy. You can use it to drive a hair dryer or a record player, or you know, can use it in many different ways. And here we're using it just to um, open the inner body and send some help for balancing energies through the inner body because this inner body, like you referring to, the energy systems of the body um, are an important area for us to uh, clarify and refresh and, uh, and nourish. Um, because this makes the whole sense of being and presence much more comfortable and uh, also helps us to deal with the emotional blockages and emotional impulses that are problems for us, energy states which are problematic, feeling too restless and agitated or feeling too sluggish and dull, or imbalances, we feel very stuck in the head. Or So this helps, all this cultivation helps to clear these these difficulties and so it acts as a foundation for mindfulness and for samadhi and hopefully for well-being someone asks is there a specific qigong for meditation um well that's it really meditation itself has thousands of different systems of meditation yeah. so and I, I imagine there's probably specialists who deal with specific sorts of qigong for meditation purposes this is what i'm doing someone asked about the proper balance between standing sitting and walking well <laughs> you know you have to find out what brings skillful states what supports mindfulness and energy and balance and and samadhi concentration and so you have to find out what blend works for you in any situation. As we've seen in the West, there's a lot more, tends to be more sitting, partly because that's often done communally in halls where we get together. And um, you know, that's, that's quite common. In Thailand, there's more walking. Uh, walking meditation is done a lot more by the forest ajans. It may have been because the the heat, you know, you need to walk to keep the freshness. Well, they found a way of generating energy, and also specifically, there's a sense of, you know, 
application, mind is engaged, uh, and they find that helpful to engage because I think some of them would just go into a, a very strong samadhi state, and, but you know, it sort of can come out of it, you know. So, somehow getting the mind to be active, so walking just get the mind a little more active so they can actually penetrate into where they're thoughts, their emotions, their impulses went. Um, so it really, how your own body is, what supports your your body so it's not struggling all the time, what supports your energy and uh, you know, what supports your inquiry. But I would recommend you, you know, get those all covered, don't just do sit, sit all the time. Someone's asking about the Satipatthana Sutta, referring to knowing the four bases of mindfulness inwardly, outwardly, and outwardly and inwardly, which I did mention yesterday, but the person didn't quite get it, understand it. So, Satipatthana Sutta, those who are not familiar with these, have this large collection of recorded, remembered, and edited, and reassembled renditions of what the Buddha said. Most of it was done after he passed away. Some of it was done during his lifetime. Mostly after he died, they thought, well, let's get this together, you know, and it all had to be remembered, because they didn't, they didn't write things down so, trying to remember it and work it into a form that would be easy to recite you know because you've got to remember it so often when you look in these, these are called suttas, and when you look in them they're, they often got very repetitive phrases, because that makes it easy to remember uh, and the understanding is these have been assembled uh, carrying the meaning, but not necessarily, you know, the exact words, you know, or the exact way the Buddha spoke. Mm. So one of these renowned ones is Satipatthana Sutta, of which there are several versions. We have a, a standard one, Satipatthana Sutta, then we have one called the Long Satipatthana Sutta, where they, it seems they've added a section on the end of it. So, okay, they've got these teachings together. Well, let's put this in. This is also good, you know. Stick it in. <laughs> and uh, so clearly, they were trying to, you know, make these more polished, more complete presentations out of perhaps uh, teachings that were a little more scrappy. You know, he said this in this place. He said that in that place. And they, okay, this is all. You, this is what he said about Satipatthana. Stick it together. You've got a sutta. And you have one area of the suttas called the connected discourses, where they've gathered everything together in terms of themes. So there's one book is devoted to the theme of Satipatthana. And this seems to be the source where they swept, if you like, gathered all he's said about Satipatthana in this book, and then, okay, let's get that, 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 and stick it together and and make these other more beautifully formed suttas. 
And why I mention that is because there are some quite distinct differences in those. But in all of them, they do have this inner, outer phrase, recitation, in all of those versions. So this seems to be definitely a part of it. But it's not entirely... It's slightly not entirely clear because it can also inner and outer can also mean here and there. So here, here, there, here, there, inner, outer. So you know, and when you look in the Satipatthana Sutta, not the collection, but the more polished versions, you see there are, it begins. It talks about mindfulness of breathing, which actually isn't in the Satipatthana. That's a separate thing. So obviously, put that in. And then talks about various aspects of the body, dead bodies, and considering one's own body as made of elements and food and organs and things like this. But when we look at Satipatthana as a method, that isn't actually the method. That's one way of cultivating, but this is actually thinking. You don't directly know you have a liver, for example. You can be told you have one. And you probably would agree. But you don't directly know of liver. <laughs> and when the Buddha presents this, he said, this is, this is the direct way. The direct way for the ending of suffering and stress and for the purification of beings. It's the direct, straightforward, pared down. And so we have this series which is really about thinking, reflecting. Then it switches into being mindful of the body internally, mindful of the body externally. So people see, oh, so mindful of the body externally must mean you look at other people's bodies, you look at dead bodies, that's external, and your own body is internal. So they interpret it that way. You could hold that, but then he says feelings internally and externally. And how do you know what other people are feeling? And then, then mind, internally and externally, or heart. How do you know other people's states of heart are? Where their heart is in the great heart, exalted, unexalted? I don't know. <laughs> and so this analysis doesn't... And then you look at all some of these... I dealt with this in some refined details, you know. So it says feeling, you notice a subtle joyful feeling of a non-sensual nature, internally and externally. And I don't think you can detect that in other people. And more to the point, I've never been on a single retreat where they've been instructed to do that. The idea is you don't look at other people. <laughs> can you imagine looking at somebody else's breathing? <laughs> It would be considered quite offensive. <laughs> so, no, no, this has never happened in any meditation center. So, I don't think it's really about other people at all. <laughs> so, then if it's not that, what is it? So, if we recognize maybe this section on considering corpses and reflecting on one's own death and so forth, although useful, that isn't in the Sanyutta bag of Satipatthana, it's not there. So that seems to be added to it. So you take that out, and it's got here, there. And this is, and what can you directly know? 
And considering that many of these practitioners were on their own in a jungle, in a forest, or say, go to a remote place, nobody else around, again, where's these external? And so if we just look at that very simply, external, what's happening to this body from the outside? In other words, sensations impinging on it. That seems, you know, external. Internal, what's happening to this body internally? I don't know if I've got a liver, but I know I feel kind of tense here. I feel a lot of energy up here. Yeah. So isn't that, wouldn't that be more uh, useful? Not just possible, because you can know that, but also extremely useful and necessary to know what's happening on that internal level right now if I'm you know getting agitated how do I know that you know and how do I calm it and how do I work with it it seems very important to know and I'd imagine that you know I'm no great shakes but not a great meditator but I imagine the Buddha probably did sense some of this stuff <laughs> internally I can't imagine he wasn't aware <laughs> of his energies in his body. <laughs> and then when you begin to recognize this kaya sankara, the bodily formative energies, this is what seems to be referred to in these internal qualities, you know, external qualities. You know. And then this, uh, what we call, what I'm referring to as the experience of the skin, it's sort of interesting because there you got that internal, external. Where does internal change to external? Well, <laughs> again, it's kind of fairly obvious, isn't it? You know, what is the external? When you look around, you see this skin. You see it. And that's the thing that receives external impact. Right? But then also, the skin warms. Not because of heat, but because of vitality. Yeah. Yeah. And when I feel frightened, I can feel tension rising in the skin. Yeah. So that area is quite a potent area for sensing where the internal and the external, you know, you can sense there's as that. So internal and external together. Now if we recognize what's called jhana absorption, which is um, one of the themes of Buddhist mind cultivation or Buddhist heart cultivation, absorption means you enter into uh, this inner body, calming, steadying, you you go in there and you steady and calm it and experience qualities of ease and happiness. And because of that, the heart, jitter is attracted to it. Thinking quietens down, jitter settles in. The jitter's nervousness, agitation, fear disappears. Jitter becomes very steady and calm. And as everything goes into a very still, quiet state, and the energy begins to radiate. You know, as the things get more settled, the energy 
because it's not just going in different directions and it's not spinning out into thoughts and it becomes steady, it starts to warm up and, and radiate. So you get a sense of radiance. And so then the Buddha is talking about this and he says, well, it's, it's very happy and agreeable. And you, as you're practicing that, you spread that through your entire body so that there's not one portion of the skin, not one pore of the skin that is not saturated with this happiness. Mm. So that's where the internal and the external meet. Uh, isn't it? But here you're coming from the inside and radiating out through the skin. And why? Because the Buddha again says you should not cling internally, you should not cling externally. You can cling internally means you get very preoccupied in your state and start to identify with that, start to hold it. Externally, we all know clinging to things outside. So you don't cling internally or externally because if that occurs, then there's a division. You know, there's a loss of mutuality. You know. And it certainly can be a, a theme for meditators who maybe go very internal and then you know really find it quite difficult to sort of externalize their practice because it's all this, you know, so it gets more difficult to, to handle a world where things are moving fast and stuff like that. Um, so recognizing coming to the external, bringing energy out, and so then the, you're able to you know, shift how you attend, because when that's that richness of energy, your attention is much more steady and measured. It doesn't just jump dark. But it's also more open, so we can sight, sounds, thoughts. Uh, you're able to allow them to come and go. And you've learned, perhaps, you begin to learn how to engage in a way that means you don't lose your center. So external cultivation is certainly uh, important. Um, naturally, in retreats and so forth, we do really encourage this internalizing to heal, strengthen our energies, clear some of the effects of the external, uh, in, become internal, because that's what happens. Although we have this notional boundary, actually the external world phenomena gives the body gets excited, shocked, stuck, because it's the external world sends signals and the skin system picks up these signals of fear and delight and resonates with it. So we want to meet that experience. And so you really know this, you know, you see something there's, there's the fear. Oh, I know that one. How does that pass? Because you've cultivated an awareness that covers both of those, external and the internal. Whatever it is, external, internal, near or far, alive or dead, gross or subtle. This is the way that the Buddha lists things. <laughs> yeah. 
near or far, internal or external, <laughs> whatever it is, that's part of the cosmos, and that is to not be clung to, and any qualities of fear, delight, aggression, uh, grasping, you, you detect, you, you practice in accordance with the way of release. This is not a small job, but that's that's the full course, you could say. So someone asks, get down a bit more simple, beginner's stuff. What's a helpful sequence or different sequences of steps to take in the meditation? Again, uh, meditation itself, it's like it's just one part of an ongoing cultivation. So, so it really requires that sense of um, uh, good foundation in in ethics and balancing integrity and so forth. Mm. Yeah. And then when we come down to what we would call meditation, then it's okay you find a place where you can you can settle, sit, stand, walk, uh, not being too disturbed by external phenomena. And then you might recollect and put aside you know, things that are bothering you, or say later, deal with that later, switch that off, so you start to do some housekeeping, uh, that one down, not right now, put that to one side, so just clearing some space, bring yourself into the present, you know, ask what's important, Want to keep asking what's important now. So this is your introduction, uh, clearing, recollecting, just setting yourself up to to um, establish sati, mindfulness. So this process of integrity and inner reflection and careful attention acts as the foundation for mindfulness. Then that's there, we've settled things. Okay, now, now let's just be able to form a focus so I suggest focusing on the body because that's, you know, that's <laughs> that's what the Buddha did, <laughs> and uh, it covers all we need to do. Yeah. And establish that externally, internally whole body. Mm. After this, then it becomes much more a sense of um, you've got to start looking at what seems possible. Established a template, a foundation now. Where does the chitta what does it need to do? Where does the heart want to go in that? It might just want to sit with that and rest and just let things bubble away. Maybe that's what it wants. Just, you know, that's enough. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. Just let things fizz away and not get involved. Do that for half an hour. You can feel 
you know, it's better than getting just acting on everything, just disengaging and holding the body. But it may be that you know, there's some aspiration, some energy is there. And I'd like to say just focus on the process of breathing in and breathing out. Yeah. And as a process of this form, inner form, an inner body, the Buddha called it a body amongst the bodies, so it itself is a kind of a body that is flowing and expanding and shifting and, and filling the inner body. There's a lot you can do that will go a long way with that. First getting a sense of it and the body holding it properly, getting the right kind of attention which isn't too you know, tight and too much what to do, what to do, what to do, you know. Just, just, just trust it, you know. Take it slowly. And then did you get the endings of the breathing, the ending of the exhalation, ending of the inhalation. So you get the whole cycle. Then that's going to get the whole cycle which becomes um, steady and unhurried. And then it, you've managed to use it to to moderate the mind which is often jumping and interfering and fretting and stuff and I just use the breathing to get the mind to shut up (laughs) 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 you're quite patient with that and if it doesn't just okay well let's just put it there and do this uh, and if one can find that that's uh, that's coming along, then um, you know, <laughs> how does it get more steady? How does it get more comfortable? Then uh, you're beginning to learn how you can relinquish more and more of the the self, which is first of all doing the meditation, and then trying to get the meditation to work, the more you can relinquish that controlling self and, and, and its analysis and its judgment. So and it's very practical in that sense. So you arrive at a sense of just very kind of trusting and open and comfortable. So that, that would be a, a kind of way of, of looking at it, working with it. But for sure, you you know you, you know, to look at any meditation, decent meditation manual, they'll say the similar thing, and they'll also recognise you enter some very turbulent stuff, you know, kind of craving and uh, memories and aversion and guilt and worry, and that's that's a journey, you know, to move through that. that that's uh, you know. How you listen to those voices and energies, and how you essentially you. My advice is when you get any of these kind of compelling pushes and drives, just take away the topic and refer to the energy. Say, so worrying, you know, you fancy a car or you're worried about your cousin or something. Let's put the, the image away and just focus on the worry. What is that? And then learn to deal with that because that's intimate 
and that's that you can manage in the here and now. If you manage that, then you'll get a better idea of how to respond to your cousin or your car or whatever. Person finds a lot of energy goes into the head when they uh, meditating. Well, essentially, you keep drawing your attention from the air, your head and widen your awareness down into your body. Uh, it's it's uh, useful to get a good physical position and putting attention into getting a nice bright physical posture because that by itself will, will, will bring energy into the body you're sort of sitting there then you've not brightened the body up then the head will take over for sure because that's where most of us are living most of the time for example if you're feeling in your head then you start to, to sense the head uh, physically say so, skin and uh, relaxing the muscles so around the eyes, where we have this eye socket, so you relax around there. And relaxing the mouth, the jaw, and the forehead, as if you're sweeping across here. If you relax all those muscles that do with expression, you'll find the thinking slows down. Really relax, it's difficult to think. <laughs> mm. Mm. So then you're experiencing the head just as a thing like a, like an arm. It's just another part of the body. And then head and down the neck, chest, drawing your awareness down. Mm. And then you can work the other way, coming from your breathing up through the throat into the head internally. So forming these connections. So a person became aware that normally they do meditation as a subtle quality of pushing or trying, and um, they began to recognize this, and um, they acknowledge the sense of this trying as a as a as an experience, an energy, if you like, and then when there wasn't that, they felt very open everything flowing and uh, the layer of the mind was fluid you could feel more playful and alive and it lasted without sitting and any walking as new and uh, so my controlling tendencies have subsided so they're asking about how to cultivate this more constantly. Here they feel the quiet of the retreat, the quiet of the retreat, uh, very conducive. And also the resting that comes with lying down. But I don't want to just be sitting every day in a dutiful, obliged way in conditions that are not conducive. Of course. Well, yeah, that's, that's your work. Um, but you've touched into that that sense of openness so you know it's there and you know how how insidious this controlling thing is and of course you know daily life is a lot of controlling it's quite normal 
So once we just begin to be familiar with that, and then if you're focusing, you get aware of the energies, and you go into controlling, slight tightening up, and make that effort, that application to loosen, and aware of the space around you, which is given, and the earth beneath you, which is given. You don't have to control them, they're there. They're safe. They carry you. Let yourself be carried. And you realize it's all a gift. And the breath, breathing is a gift. It's just coming in. And moving out. When it goes out, it goes out. comes back by itself. The more we really sense and incline and remember that trust and that given quality to our lives, then we're going to feel open. Of course, as beings, social beings in a working world, this control system comes in, you know, probably necessary, but then how to dismantle it, take it away, return to the earth, return to space, return to the gift and feel happy, blessed by that. One person, they say they had a very nice walking meditation based on the theme of, uh, you know, walk as if the earth is coming to meet you. And so with that, they got a sense of uh, an opening, physical opening, gratitude, and a joyful emotion, you know, so they got a sense of opening up. Um, but the, the certain reactions started to happen. There was a kind of a judgment mind and, and then fear and panic began to move in and then feeling very fragile. Um, yeah, you get this sense of uh, something seems to almost reflex when we start to open and feel open and then this reflex jumps in and, you know, this is just... A stage you have to pass through very patiently. Yeah. It's like it's almost, you know, it's so unusual to feel open and joyful. <laughs> First, what's going on? <laughs> Body doesn't trust it. <laughs> and so, this fragility or the vulnerability. So really this is, uh, once the judging mind has moved in, you know, once that's happened, then you've lost the resource. The resource is just this sense of the body, you know, holding it in the body, grounding yourself through your feet and your back. And you stand, feeling the back and the feet on the ground, the strengthening. And those waves of agitation or fear, just open to that. Let those waves move through. Not comfortable, but you can just stand grounded, feel the waves of agitation moving through. And a sense of metta. It's okay. It's okay. This is quite normal. It will pass.
person finds themselves getting very frozen, that's locked, when they have to go into their profession, their, their action with their professional projects, the kind of fear and lack of confidence. Well, I think I've just sort of given you some idea. Um, so when we have something like a job or a profession and what happens is you get, the mind jumps very quickly into that and because that's often what work's about. It's about jumping quickly. And so it's about quickly jumping into this and that and having a spreadsheet and an end plan and games, you know, get this going. Um, so that comes with... That comes with just learning to just pause. And then it's five seconds. So just bring yourself back. Mm. Don't want to move on that jumping energy because actually you lose ground. You lose groundedness. Therefore, you're liable to get agitated. And then once you lose ground, a subtle fear comes in and then the mind begins to get very agitated and panicky and lock, lock up, got to get it right, got to get it right, got to get this done. So there's a locking. And so it's in turn, just recognizing this uncomfortable mechanism, you know, engage. So there's the disengage from the panic reflex Engage, engage with goodwill. And someone's asking about right effort. Right effort is to bring forth a sense of purpose. Okay, something I want to do, need to do. Get a feeling for that sense of purpose as a as a heart sense. Okay, now how can we move forward from there? How does that move forward? When you freeze, you lose heart. You freeze when you lose contact with that grounded energy. Uh, thinking mind throws you out. You lose ground, you start to lock, freeze up. In the heart, you lose heart. And then things get very... All you have left is reactions and ideas. So very important, just keep your feet on the ground. Stop, pause, take a breath. Okay, purpose. Get that feeling for it, heart feeling for a sense of motivation and purpose. And then, okay, now, how do we get forward from here? The first thing to do is this, just this, this bit. Get systematic around it. We talk about safety and attachment, feeling secure. I think this attachment is not the same as what we talk about in Buddhism. I think you're right. Um, because again, these are modern words. And, you know, the Buddha talked about something called Viveka which means, you know, unlocking from unskillful states. So you, you disengage from unskillful states. So you could call that 
non-attachment, but it's actually more like disengaged from unskillful states. Okay. So you can step back. You can disengage from ongoing activities, just pause. You can do that. That, in a way, is the entry to meditation, that sense of, okay. And if that's cultivated, then we can deal with the big topic, which is non-grasping, or upadana grasping, which can also be translated as attachment. But it really means something where there's... um, uh, quality of tanha, thirst, uh, irrational reflex of thirst, has made it compulsive, grabbing onto phenomena that cannot be owned. Mm. And it's grasping, and the mind is always hungry, grabbing older things. Now, attachment, in, in another sense, particularly in the psychological sense, is to do with forming steady and reliable relationships. Uh, So particularly for for an infant and a parent or parents, there's got to be a good attachment because otherwise they they never feel safe. You're still forming, still very young, still very unformed. You need to have an elder or a parent figure, or two, or three, or five, better, even better if you've got ten. You get a sense, then you've got some sense, oh, this is, I'm safe, you know, this, I'm very vulnerable, don't know what I'm doing, there's a safe bond here. And I can hold it while I begin to learn. And so I learn about relationship, I learn about mutuality, you know, I see modeling behavior, because that's, that's a healthy attachment. Mm. We might even say that um, you know the Buddha set up his basic teaching model means you you attach to a teacher it means you link to this person who will then check you out see whether you feel trust in them if you rely upon them they know quite a bit you have faith in them then you enter into a kind of a, a, a bond which can last for a few years uh, and so then you've got something that guide you, you feel again safe, spiritually safe they're not going to manipulate, they're not going to desert you and so on so that's healthy, you could say it's healthy attachment so these ways these different different experience and generally the aim of safety because if there isn't safety then uh, nervous system and our bodies and our minds never settle never settle down so what happens is they just start to create um, things to hold on to so we get obsessive compulsive disorders because it's something you've got to have something to to hold on to, to you know as we were talking about the other night um, haven't actually found their proper embodiment so the, the sense of safety is a very important basis. Now safety is not, I mean, I like to differentiate between safety and security. Safety is a, a sense, a felt, a, a sense that a signal to the body, you're welcome, you're here, there's earth, there's air, yeah, you know. You, you're in a mutual world, you're in a mutual cosmos, you can be seen, 
and heard in a way that's empathic. Yeah. So the more that signal is occurring, the more we feel safe in ourselves. And this means you can you can live with much less security. <laughs> you don't need, you know, the locks and the insurance and the gadgets and the future. So clearly, the uh, one of the main um, motifs of, of the Buddhist tradition is the homeless one, the one who's homeless wanderer, root of a tree, just carrying their belongings with them. So in a way, someone very insecure, you know, vulnerable to thieves, weather, animals, diseases, and yet safe. Because they're, they're carrying the signaling of, you know, of safety in themselves. You know, consider that. Consider that. Because the fact is, security doesn't make you feel safe. If you look at that on a kind of level, you know, what we got? We got how many billions of trillions of dollars from trying to armies and missiles and bombs and trying to make us feel safe <laughs> and it's not it's just very terrified <laughs> you know national security and all this sort of thing this amazing technology we're not we still don't feel safe <laughs> you know <laughs> And you can have a gated mansion with all kinds of police and patrols and you're still not, you don't feel necessarily safe because somebody could be planning against you or you could get a disease or you, you know, get paranoid because we haven't entered into our own safety. We can still have paranoia and fear and all that. So we deal with this safety, recognizing that for sure we will die. We have to accept that. Uh, but so will everybody else who's got massive bank account and all the soldiers in the world are not going to stop you dying. So to get rid of the, eliminate the fear and the paranoia and the mistrust and enter into the welcoming, you know, it's really as here and immediate as the ground beneath your feet and the breath in your body. If you enter those, you start to get a sense of what safety really is. And from there, yeah, and you have Kalyanamita, friends, who you feel reliable. This definitely covers the external territory. And those are important, all that is important for our cultivation. Here we have an exceptionally advantageous situation, but it's temporary, and within that, take the time to cultivate this, what I'm talking about, you know. And so now I'm in this sense of the embodied safety, you know, you know cleaning the energies from fear, holding on, grasping, ownership, controlling. I feel it's like this does not have to do that. 
So you get your system starts to open and then really get to know that. And it's the same body, you can take it outside. When you go home, it's the same, <laughs> it's the same breath. So if you begin to enrich this with those qualities and that understanding, it is your refuge. So let's take a break now. <laughs>